0: From the archive. So next, I want to introduce Rose Brewer. She's um, a longtime community and political activist. Thank you. There (laughs) you go. As well as a professor in the African American Studies Department and the African Studies Department at the University of Minnesota. So please welcome Rose. Thanks, Ty. It's good to be here, um, and I wasn't at um, the mobilization, and that's what it was, a, a mobilization. And as Mel says, uh, we've seen lots of mobilizations. Many of you probably remember the Six, and uh, the amount of uh, at least numerical energy that was put into that mobilization um, when um, Amadou Diallo was uh, killed in New York City shot 41 times by New York police. A lot of mobilization and um, we're at a, I would say, a very defining moment in that uh, mobilization simply aren't enough. Uh, This is in fact a a movement building uh, period and I would like to see uh, hundreds of these conversations happening. I'm glad it's happening here at May Day but one of the ways that I think we're going to move this process forward is that we're going to have to pull a lot more people into understanding what we're dealing with. Uh, I think there is some degree of confusion. I'm very glad uh, Mel articulated um, a citizen's perspective because uh, we don't understand too often what citizenship means. And I think uh, for a very long time, as he suggested, The face of racism in this country has been interred in state violence. Uh, I'm going to use that term and state violence has always been an arm of uh, the police and the police have carried out state uh, violence in the name of uh, the U.S. government both domestically And globally, that's what war and imperialism represents. So I think we should be very clear about how these systems work in relationship uh, to one another. I don't have to tell you all how repeatedly uh, some communities are patrolled police. And this goes back to the very, very early uh, history of this country. Uh, Some of you may have heard the news today where uh, there were uh, immigrant sweeps all over the U.S. I think over 5,000 people were gathered up and uh, about 56 or more right here in the state of Minnesota. You may not know, or you may, uh, given this this group, that uh, the Department of Homeland Security has given over $19 million to police organizations here in the U.S. to collaborate on training. And surveillance. Uh, This includes private uh, security officers and wannabe Mm. (laughs) security folk, uh, a la Zimmerman. And you know a lot of this has been on the policing and surveillance uh, given 9-11 of the Islamic Muslim population, but these methods were practiced for a very long time on our communities, on black and brown communities. So they don't really have to reinvent the wheel. It's sort of old wine in new bottles. And some of us remember COINTELPRO and the strategies that were used under that kind of state surveillance. And it it certainly hasn't gone away. I think a lot of it is uh, justified, articulated through the lens that Mel laid out. And that's a lens of a narrative around black criminality about the fact, especially black men are crafted as criminals and black women are crafted as whores. So, you know, that doesn't demand on either account uh, any kind of respect. And so when you have something like stand your ground, which actually almost got passed right here in Minnesota, a version of it, uh, Mm -hmm. I think Dayton vetoed it. uh, But in over 21 states, uh, what it does is give license to white vigilantism because the crafting of the image of who is criminal allows that. And, and, and you know, we can follow this narrative because it, it has played out so directly in uh, the Zimmerman case. And let's not forget that that also connects to a very long history where under racial apartheid, uh, the Citizens' Councils were the business face of white supremacy. But the Klan was quite connected as the vulgar, aggressive face of it. And that went all the way up through uh, the sheriff's departments, the uh, state patrols, to the very side of state governments. So uh, the idea that uh, the police in the state have always been intimately connected is something that we should be very clear about. I also think that... Uh, While the mobilization is imperative and important, and it's moved the process along in a way that probably wouldn't have been moved along without many folks standing up, uh, we do need theory and practice. We need to understand, what's the context in which this is happening? Uh, What's the nature of late capitalism in this context? What connects, at this point in time, all the rhetoric around colorblindness, which we know isn't true, to the deeply rooted institutionalized white supremacy that has never been swept away. And, you know, white supremacy really isn't about a white person, it's about a set of practices, a mindset. That's the reason uh, Zimmerman, who ostensibly, and the press doesn't ever get this right, is ostensibly maybe of some kind of inher- uh, uh, Latino heritage, doesn't see himself that way. Right. And in fact, um, some of the data that I saw indicate that about 53% of the Hispanic, and I hate that word, I know many Latino people don't like that term, uh, if you ask them to check the box, we'll check white. So there is a kind of narrative and mindset that allows, under these conditions (laughs) of white supremacy, someone who ostensibly should be in alignment with uh, black and other brown people who sees themselves Mm -hmm. against that alignment. And, you know, ideologically it's played out over and over and over through every image that's exposed, through the newspaper, through the press, and this kind of profound uh, manipulation of our consciousness. You have to be very, very attuned to it because it's naturalized. You know, you don't even think about it. And, you know, I I think sometimes those of us who quote are on the left or however you want to define yourself as revolutionary, however, uh, presume that identity is a backward kind of a set of understandings but the right understands that it's through identity that they manipulate, uh, that they very well understand how the use of identity and they use it very much to their own interest. Uh, The fact that there's a 1% that uh, has most of the resources of the earth. Uh, Who is that 1%? Well, disproportionately It's uh, a global white male elite embodied in corporations. It's not completely anymore. I mean, there are folk from uh, the third world who benefit just a little bit. Uh, But we have to understand how these systems work together and not to get real nervous about the fact that identity is used very strategically in the context of uh, what I call neoliberal capitalism. So we're in a trans-capitalist moment. Uh, It is in crises. But this cultural trope is very powerful, and that's the form that it takes. And we should be very, very clear about how those things connect one with the other. Um, I have just a couple of more things that I can say. This time goes fast, doesn't it? You goes, should signaling should you me already. No, I know. <laughs> <laughs> because, it, you know, it's... it's go ahead. Conversation yeah, conversation. Um, you know, uh, I guess really where I want to go is, um, you know... Uh, there, there are a number of things that we, in addition to understanding how uh, this neoliberal moment of privatization and so-called uh, uh, individual responsibility, the three of us were involved in the, the struggle around North High and the way that uh, public schools are being decimated. That's a part of this neoliberal uh, agenda, but we know uh, a la uh, the new Jim Crow that the ugliest face of uh, neoliberal white supremacist uh, capitalism is through this prison industrial uh, through a system that right now uh, has uh, millions of people uh, in it. Uh, they may not be in the jail or under the jail, but they've had contact with it, and we know who those folk are. Uh, over half of them are, are black men and increasingly uh, black women are uh, uh, a growing segment of that population uh, with little recognition of reproductive rights, uh, women being shackled as they're about to give birth. Uh, There was a case just recently. So uh, this kind of patriarchy sexism connects with uh, this system in a way that uh, we should be very aware of. So um, just sort of drawing from uh, some of the work that some of the Uh, legal people in the critical race arena have said. Um, I'll just quote from one of uh, their writings. Um, They point out that racial power was not simply or even primarily a product of biased decision-making on the part of judges, but instead the sum total of the pervasive ways in which the law shapes and is shaped by race across the social plane. Laws produce racial power not simply through narrowing the scope of, say, anti-discrimination remedies, nor through racially-based decision-making, but instead through uh, a myriad of legal rules, a la Stand Your Ground, Uh, many of them having nothing to do with the rules against discrimination, but that that continue to reproduce the structures and practices of racial domination. And if you all haven't uh, read Angela Davis's stuff on... um, on on prisons. It's a good parallel to Michelle Alexander where she lays out uh, the absolute interconnectedness of uh, this system with uh, global war and militarism and incarceration in this country. So you know the call for us is clear. Um, The struggle for change is not simple nor easy, never has been, never will be a la Frederick Douglass and it's our challenge to organize, to build, and to be very clear both in terms of action and theory, uh, what we're up against. So I know my time is up.